2: Breaking down every game every day in Major League Baseball. This is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson. Hello,
5: hello. Welcome to Lumpy Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson. Now, part of the Houston Family Podcast, we've got a great podcast for you. It's in the second segment. We are going to be joined by Christian. He does a great job over at Monumental Sports Network hosting the show by the book, which you're able to catch. Monday through Friday. Does a great job covering a little bit of everything, and he does his shows actually from, I believe it's Capital One Arena, home of the Washington Wizards, and in the second segment we're going to be diving into today's card and on today's card we've got a couple three plus dollar favorites we're going to be talking about. Ways to be able to reduce the juice a little bit on those as well because some of those numbers, may wind up being a little bit less impalatable. We're going to be talking about perhaps the Baltimore Orioles being able to get into this playoff race as well, and then in the final segment, good. To give you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this MLB Wednesday as we touch them all first things first. Always do love to be able to answer your Twitter questions on this podcast. And if you got one or two ways to be we'll throw those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at unit underscore 81. Keep in mind letters yeah. Maybe it does not matter. As per usual, please do send these into the timeline and the other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to find whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast, find five, that five star review. Did not wind up getting in any Twitter questions today other than why has Josh Hader completely fallen off a cliff? So let's dive into that question. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better by recapping what we wound up getting yesterday. A games from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. Despite Josh Hader blowing the save, the Padres get the job done by kind of 7-4. to four If you wound up having the under in this game, my thoughts and prayers to you as this was one in which it was 4-1 to one going into the top of the night ninth inning and it wound up resulting in an over that wound up getting there actually rather easily when it's all said and done if you take a look at total runs as Alex Cobb he gives up three runs over the course of five innings going deep for slam Diego Juan Soto his 22nd home run season I believe that that is his first with the Padres as well but then it was Manny Machado who's really struggled since the beginning of the month of July hitting below a 225 prior to the at bat he winds up getting his 20th bomb of the season he goes deep off of Tyler Rodgers his brother Taylor was playing for the Padres now Not too long ago as Rodgers, three runs, two of which were earned, surrendered in that ninth inning. You had Junior Marte, Jarlon Garcia, both give you a scoreless inning, and Dominic Leone gave up a run out of the bullpen, but for the Giants prior to Josh Hader getting into the game, not a lot doing for them. Lamate Wade Jr. got his fifth home run season off of Joe Musgrove, as Musgrove gives up that solo home run over the course of seven innings. He was terrific. Adrian Motohon, Luis Garcia, they combined for a scoreless inning before Josh Hader. He gives up three runs and two-thirds of an inning. All of a sudden, Josh Hader has now went in his last 19 and two-thirds innings, giving up 19 runs after 40 straight scoreless outings. So not too terrific there as the Giants wound up going 0-5 with runners in scoring position in this game. So not too terrific for our good friend Josh Hader. But the Padres, they are able to get the job done out there in the West. You also wound up seeing the Arizona and the Diamondbacks get the job done by a count of six of four as. In this game, you want up seeing, I believe it was Ridolfo Castro, wind up sliding into third base, and he lost his phone along the way. I've never seen that one before. As for the Pirates, they had a pair of home runs off the bat of Michael Javis, his 11th and 12th home runs of the season, as he wound up getting one off of the starter, Tommy Henry, He gives up one solo home run over the course of seven innings. The graduate of Michigan University, did them proud. Chris Zavinsky did not wind up doing anyone proud. He winds up allowing the other home run, giving up three runs in total over the course of an inning before Mark Melanson comes in. He gets a save with a scoreless inning. And for the Pittsburgh Priors, Zach Thompson, not a great start, not a terrible start. Two runs surrendered in four two-thirds. Hangings. Wayne Underwood Jr. really lit this game on fire, though. Gives up five hits, four runs over the course of an inning. Eric Stout, along with William Crow, both give you a pair of outs out of the bullpen without allowing anything. You don't mess with the Johan Ramirez. He was able to lend a scoreless inning as well. So so the years of the Diamondbacks. They wind up getting there, and then, you know who else wound up having a rough night? Miles Michaelis. 16-5 the Colorado Rockies take down the St. Louis Cardinals as Michaelis. Gives up 14 hits and 10 runs to do it. Two-third settings. says going deep for the Colorado Rockies off of um, CJ Cron, 23rd home run season. A little bit later, TJ McFarlane serves one up to Ryan McMahon, 11th home run season. Randall Grichik, he winds up getting his 12th home run campaign as that comes off of Packy Dunn. Everyone for the St. Louis Cardinals, by the way, pitches two and two thirds innings. None. In. He gives up four runs, including that home run to Grichik, and then McFarland gives up two runs in his two and two thirds innings for the St. Louis Cardinals. Paul DeYoung, all of a sudden, has been able to get out. Fifth home run of the season. He's been able to turn things around, even though he's still hitting below the Mendoza line of uh, 200, as Ryan Feltner gives up that home run. Five runs in total over the course of five and two thirds innings, but on this side, good enough to be able to get a win as Jake Bird, one and a third inning scoreless, and then Nelson Lamette, who the Brewers wind up trading for, he winds up coming in for two scoreless settings, so all of a sudden that trade for the Milwaukee Brewers just makes less and less sense as we go along. And hey, the Brewers, they were able to get the job done by a count of 5-3 against the Tampa Bay Rays as Jimmy Acabonus gives up a run in the opening inning as the run was scored on his own throwing error, so he doesn't wind up having his ERA get bolstered as a result of it. Got all these guys accountable for these runs that wind up coming in off of their own errors. That's a discussion for another day, though, but Ryan Yarbrough gives up three runs in three and a third innings as a bull guy. Not ideal there. Ryan Thompson gives up a run in two-thirds of an inning before Jalen Beeks and John Armstrong combined for three scoreless innings. The race, by the way, go 2 of 2 with Ben in scoring position as Yandy Diaz was able to get his sixth home run season. That comes off of Freddie Peralta. Gives up two runs over the course of five innings. Looked pretty solid here. Trevor Gott, Brad Boxberger, Matt Bush all give you a scoreless setting before Hobie Milner. He gives up a run in an inning but the Brewers. may go 4 of 10 with Ben in scoring position get enough for a push on the total and they get the job done. The White Sox and the Royals wound up playing a pair as they wind up splitting this pair with both games going under. Game number one goes to the Royals by a count of four to two as we've got a good friend Lance Lynn certifying himself as a turkey tosser, giving up four runs over the course of six innings. He's now allowed at least four runs and five out of his last seven starts, giving up a pair of bombs along the way as Nick Parato was able to get his third home run season and Vinny Pasquante. Dino was able to get his fourth home run season as Brady Singer and the White Sox singing the blues. Seven and a third innings he allows one solo home run along the way. Josh Harrison he gets a sixth home run season from there. Scott Barlow and Ose Kuas both give you a pair of outs out of the bullpen without a long run. Dylan Coleman, he allows the other run in his outing. Meanwhile, you end up having Joe Kelly and Matt Foster both deliver a scoreless setting and them for the White Sox. Davis Martin was able to come through for them in game number two, three to two. The as Martin gives up one solo run over the course of five and two-thirds innings as Vinny Pasquantino was able to get home run number five of the season and home run number two on the day. But the White Sox, who have been in the bottom six all season long in terms of home runs on a per-game basis, they wind up getting a pair of bombs in this one as Lennon Sosa was able to get his first home run of the season and Yoan Mokada. He winds up going deep for a 6. Those both come off of John Easley, who has been a hot mess all season long, but not too bad here. He gives up those two solo runs over the course of five and a third innings, evading quite a bit of danger along the way. Amir Garrett gets a pair of outs on out the bullpen and Ose Kuas For the second time on the day he comes in he delivers a inning in this one as well giving up one run along the way before Wyatt Mills, Josh Shaman. They both deliver a scoreless inning and for the White Sox bullpen relatively solid here. Reinaldo Lopez Kendall Graveman. They both give you a scoreless inning. Liam Hendricks. He gives up a run in an inning and Jake Diekman. He was able to get an out of the bullpen as well. Ended up seeing the Phillies just continue the misery of the Miami Merlins. 4-1. to one. They wound up getting it done as the Miami Merlins. Boy! You talk about an offense that has went straight down the toilet bowl. They have yet to score more than three runs in a game this month. Good grief, as they go 0-3 with men in scoring position. Braxton Garrett gives up four runs, three of which were earned on a pair of homers. Gene Segura, seventh home run season. JT Ryumito gets his 13th. From there, the bullpen wasn't bad. Richard buyer Eliezer Hernandez give you a scoreless inning. Anthony Bender one and a third inning scoreless, but didn't matter what he would do because offense did not provide a whole life, life. Whole form of offense was J.J. Bleday being able to get home run number two of the season off of Zach Wheelan and Dylan Wheeler, who was Wheelan and Dylan, gives up that solo run over the course of six innings. Jose Alvarado, David Robertson, and Sir Anthony Dominguez all deliver a scoreless setting from there. The Baltimore Orioles, and we'll talk a little bit more about this scene on the other side with Chris Sheehan. They rallied to get it done against the Toronto Blue Jays, 6-5 the final. Looked like all was lost when the Blue Jays put up a four spot in the sixth inning, but the Blue Jays' bullpen, they upchucked this one. Alec Manoa did not wind up having his A-plus stuff, gives up three runs in five innings. There was a rain delay that I think wound up playing a little bit of a factor in him not being able to complete this one as well as Zach Pop. I think was supposed to come in for him, but because of the rain delay, instead they went with Anthony Bass. He delivers the scoreless innings, but... Yemi Garcia gives up two runs in an inning, including what would turn out to be the deciding homer, Adam Simber. He gives up a run in an inning as well as going deep for Baltimore. Runando Doors had a little bit of a rough season. 11th home run season, Kyle Bradish had a rough go of it out there. Three runs surrendered in five and a third innings, including a homer as Bobachet. He goes deep not once, but twice. His 16th and 17th home runs this season. He also goes deep off of Brian Baker. allowed two runs while getting two outs out of the bullpen. From there, Lewis Head and Nick Vespe combined for two scoreless innings, and Felix Batista was able to get the save with a scoreless ending. so Baltimore powers their way to another victory, and don't look now, but in the standings, the Orioles, they were entering into the night, one game out of the final wild card spot, as I do this, they are half a game out depending upon the Seattle Mariners and the New York Yankees results, so boy oh boy, they are rising up, the Cleveland Guardians, they've been able to do a solid job themselves, they have been taking control out there in the AL, Central 5-2, they wind up taking down the Detroit Tigers. It says no home runs in this one for the Guardians, but they go four of ten with men in scoring position and. Shane Bieber fever. He made believers out of everyone. Seven scoreless innings. James Garrett check a scoreless inning. Eli Morgan does wind up giving up two runs while getting just two outs before Emmanuel Colossae comes in for his 25th save of the season by pitching three pitches. But for the Detroit Tigers, Tyler Alexander, relatively solid length. A tough luck loser. Two runs surrendered over the course of seven innings. Good start there. Will Vest upchucked this one. Three runs given up over the course of an inning before Willie Peralta is able to give you a scoreless inning as well. And for the Detroit Tigers, no shock here, no home runs in this game. They still have fewer home runs as a collective than Anthony Rizzo and Aaron Judge do of the Yankees, and Anthony Rizzo has been banged up recently, so not great there. The only Dodgers, they take down the Minnesota Twins by a count of 10-3, to 3, and for the Minnesota Twins as a result of that loss, they and the Cleveland Guardians tied for first place out there in the AL Central as for Minnesota Byron Buxton goes deep off of Phil Bickford 27th home run season. DK Nation pick goes down because every single Dodger that wound up being in the lineup in this one and even the pitch hitter in Drey uh, Thompson all wound up having a hit in this game so that was not great for Joe Ryan as he winds up giving up 6 runs five over, or earned over the course of 5 innings including a deep fly to Max Muncy 12th home run season. From there Tyler McGill and Emilio Pagan. Peace three innings giving up four runs combined between the two of them and for the Dodgers they go 5-16 with pen and scoring position as Julio Arias continues to be terrific one run surrendered over the course of seven innings Phil Bickford gives up that home run in his inning and Caleb Ferguson he's actually been very good out there in the bullpen he retires aside by striking out three batters in his inning of work scoreless up he was able to do a nice job with that regard, and for the Dodgers, they just continue to win by multiple runs. 68 out of their 76 wins thus far this season, have been by two plus runs. You wind up seeing the LA Angels take down the Oakland Ace. 5-1 the final. It was showtime. Shoei Otani, six scoreless innings, only five strikeouts for him. That's actually relatively low, as Jimmy Herget and Jose Quijada combined for the final three innings. Quijada gave up a run along the way as he winds up giving up a solo run to Chad Pinder, 10th home run season, but that's all that they would give up. And for the Angels, Shoei Otani helps out his own cause. 25th home run season. That comes off of Sam Selman, who winds up giving up that one run in one and two thirds innings. And Domingo Tapia, two and a third innings, scoreless out of the bullpen. James Caprillian entered into this game on a very good streak. He had given up one run or fewer in four out of his last five starts. Gives up three runs in five innings in this one, including a home run to Taylor Ward. He's been relatively cold recently, getting his 15th home run season. And for the Angels, this is a bunch of, all of a sudden they've been able to win two straight after they had, I believe, a run of 16 and 49 over the course of their last 65 games. So, it's not been going great for them. It's not been going great for the Washington Nationals either, but they get the job done against the Chicago Cubs by kind of 6 of 5 thanks to a pair of runs in the 8th inning as being able to go deep off of Mike Leiter Jr. for a start of the campaign. Joey Manessis, that was big for this team. A little bit earlier, you would have Kibad Ruiz go deep not once but twice off of Marcus Stroman. 5th and 6th home runs of the season as Stroman gives up 4 runs of 5 innings including those 2 bombs. You want to wind up having Eric Ullman deliver two scoreless innings before Leiter Jr. comes into the game. He gives up those two runs over the course of two innings, including that homer. And for the Chicago Cubs, C.A. Suzuki goes deep off of the starter Paulo Espino for his ninth home run season for Espino. He gives up just that home run over the course of five innings. The bullpen very nearly gave this game away. Erasmo Ramirez, Kyle Finnegan, they both come in for an inning. They both give up two runs apiece before Andres Machado, Carl Edwards Jr. They piecemeal two scoreless innings together. You did wind up seeing the Houston Astros be able to cover the run line at home 7-5. to five. They take down the Texas Rangers, a rare over for Houston who's been playing right around 62-63% to 63% of their games to the over depending upon your closing numbers as had a trail of bombs out there for the Texas Rangers as Jose Udekiti lost all three. Marcus Simeon 16th home run season. Corey Seager is 25th and Adolis Garcia is 19th for Udekiti. Gives up all five runs over the course of five innings, but gets the win despite giving up those three bombs. From there, Will Smith, Rafael Montero, Hector Nares, Ryan Presley, part of the best bullpen in terms of VRA in the big leagues, all deliver a scoreless inning. And Elamendi Diaz, he has gotten hot, hitting well above a 300 over the last 30 days for this punch. He gets his 10th home run season off of Martin Perez, who, on getting banged around like a drum in this one. 7 Seven runs surrendered over the course of 5 innings entered into this game with a sub-2-3 ERA on the road. And then Jose LeClerc, Brett Martin, they both give you a combined 3 scoreless settings, but damage had been already done. The New York Mets did some good damage to the Cincinnati Reds. They were on to Cincinnati for a 6-2 win as Mike Miner continues to be a major disappointment. The team is now 1-11 and in his 12 starts as he winds up allowing four runs in five and a third innings giving up a pair of bombs along the way. Going deep for the Mets, Jeff McNeil, seventh home run season, Francisco Lindor, his 20th, and Carlos Carrasco continues to be solid at home. Gives up two runs over the course of six and two-thirds innings, including a home run to Jake Fraley is third home run season. From there for the Reds bullpen, not too bad. Joel Kunal does wind up giving up two runs while getting just two outs out of the bullpen, but Rostetweiler, Luis Sessa combined for three outs, and Ryan Enderx gives you a scoreless setting. And for the Mets, you did have Trevor May and Seth Lugo lend a scoreless setting with Michael Givens. It's been a little bit rough since heading to New York. He winds giving you an out out of the bullpen as well. And since I need to have this up by Midnight Pacific, not able to give you a final on this one because it is, as I'm recording this, going into the 13th inning with Snake eyes on the scoreboard for both teams as the Yankees and the Seattle Mariners have a combined eight hits as I record this. I mean, great pitchers rule. Garrett Cole, seven squirrel settings. And now you've got Luis Castillo, eight scoreless, and against the New York Yankees this year, 21 and two-thirds innings with four runs surrendered by Luis Castillo. That's amazing in and of itself, but we have seen for the Yankees, or Chapman chairman, Clay Ome, Scott Efres, Wani e. Peralta, and Lou Trevino be able to piecemeal this thing together as they've got to combine five scoreless settings. And then for the Seattle Mariners, Andres Munoz, Paul Seawold, Matthew Festa, Matt Brash all to deliver a scoreless inning as The Yankees in the 11th and the 12th innings sent up two men to the plate in both innings. That has to be some sort of a record. I've never seen that before in my life. So, intriguing stuff out there in Seattle. Great day of baseball on Tuesday. And if you're taking a look at things right now, we have been noticing a few more overs being able to come in. Over the last three days, we have seen this shift. Just a touch as we've right now got 172 overs to 170 unders. That is a little bit over 50% to the over underdogs. They've been having a little bit of a rough go of it as favorites. They are 219 and 140 straight up over the last three days, sitting at a little bit more than 61%. But home favorites having a tough time covering the run line. This has probably been the best run for home favorites being able to cover the run line that we've seen all season long as home favorites on the run line over the last three days. They are one. Oh, 05 and 116. So covering 47.5% of games by winning by at least two runs. And home favorites straight up in this time span 140 and 82. So they've been relatively dominant if you're taking a look at the season to date. Underdogs, they're in at a little bit over 40%. 976 and 660 is the number that favorites are winning at straight up. And for home favorites, as I was mentioning a little bit earlier, has been a little bit rough for them. Covering the run line as they have already now had 193 instances in which they have not been able to so, and overall for the season, 801 unders to 756 overs. That is right around a 51.4% clip to the under. So that's what we wind up seeing in Major League Baseball on Tuesday. And that's what we're seeing trend-wise in Major League Baseball coming up next. We're gonna be talking to Chris Sheehan, talking about the odds that we could see the Orioles when it's all said and done in the postseason and breaking down the games that we're gonna be seeing on Wednesday. That's up next right here on the baseball betting show with myself, Drake Peterson, now a part of Decent Family Podcast.
8: Check out Point Game with John Wall and C.J. Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Breaking down every game, every day in Major League Baseball, this is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson. And
5: we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now a part of the Beeson Family Podcast, and great to be joined by our guests as Chris Chian does an absolutely amazing job over there at the Monumental Sports Network EOC show by the book. You're able to catch that Monday through Friday. They do that out there in our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. They do that at the home of the Washington Wizards as well. So Chris always is in a great environment there. and. Always does a great job when he joins this podcast. Take a look at the game of baseball. I know that he's doing a great job getting set for the upcoming football season as well. And to be able to follow Chris on Twitter, that is at the Big Cheese Show. That is the big, those two words, and then C H E E, and then show all together. And Chris, great to have you aboard. Thank you. Greg, thank you so much for
12: having me. And yes, coaching some high school football out here in Maryland as well, too. We're getting underway today. So going to be a hot day. We'll make sure the kids get some water and uh, put in some tough work. And then after that, Greg, I'm going to be settling up and watching this baseball because uh, nothing like a little midday action leading into the nighttime. We certainly have a good slate going. Uh, looking forward probably most, Greg, to the battle in the state of Texas my man Verlander and Otto.
5: Let's talk about that, because now we are seeing post-trade deadline more and more demonstrative numbers, and Verlander, he is one of the $3 favorites that we find on the board for Wednesday, and it it's going to be Glenn Otto going for Texas, and if there is something positive I can say for Glenn Otto, he's actually been significantly better on the road than he has been at home. As a matter of fact, his ERA is slashed by nearly in half when he's on the road rather than when he's at home, but Joseph Verlander, Right now, I think that he should win the Cy Young Award if it's all said and done. And honestly, I would probably have Dylan Cease at number two, but been I'm very impressed by Verlander. Total of seven and a half is intriguing to me because I do think that this is a case of which you could wind up seeing Verlander do what he always does, goes like six, seven innings, gives up one or two runs. But I think that this could wind up going over because now I am much more bullish on this Houston Astros team now that they've got Trey Mancini in that lineup to be able to fortify things as well. Not sure where you're looking on this one, but certainly you want to reduce the juice on a minus three, ten. But on the seven and a half, I'm looking over because I think that the Astros provide enough support for Verlander to get it over.
12: Yeah, Greg, you're going to have to look at some alternative lines if you want to really get any sort of value here. I just don't see how you, and I'd rather take the plus one and a half with Texas always rather than lay. You talk about this a lot, Greg. You know, covering these run lines sometimes for these teams have been tough. We know Houston once they get the lead, they've got the lowest bullpen ERA by far in Major League Baseball, so You know if Justin Verlander who's doing a good job generating soft contact among pitchers who have gone at least 100 innings he's got the seventh highest soft contact rate along with a 173 ERA this was a dude you know some of these guys like a Max Scherzer who can certainly throw the heat but give up a home run or two as well here but as you said Greg and I think the last time you and I spoke I was talking about Shea McClanahan being the front runner for AL Cy Young but no it's got to be Verlander yeah he's backed up by a team with Jose Altuve who last Week he went four games in a row with a double. Out a guy's with triple-digit plate appearances against righties. Your Don Alvarez fourth highest home run to fly ball rate. Then you got Alex Bregman who hasn't really homered much, but he's getting his singles. And then Glenn Otto tenth highest walk rate. Everything just sets up for Houston to win by a couple of runs. Yeah, Glenn Otto has shown some flashes this year, but overall not a guy I want to back. And uh, this Houston lineup just. Deadly, this whole team as a whole. We're heading into October here soon, Greg, and Houston once again will be in the mix, I'd imagine.
5: Oh, absolutely. And you mentioned it with Glenn Auto giving up right around five blocks per nine innings. That is just very unpalatable. And how do you wind up typically? trying to take a look at being able to reduce the juice because this is one of these scenarios where, for me, it would be either Astros run line, laying a run and F. Right now, we're seeing that right around a minus 140. So instead of laying like a 310, you're able to slash like a dollar seventy off of that. Take a look there, or you might have taken the big mono number, whether it be getting a run and F at plus money with Texas or the big like plus 270, plus 275, because I just laying $3. It's been laid out by folks like Jared Smith in our industry. It just has not been profitable all season long, and it's not something that I really recommend when you wind up having other ways to be able to reduce the juice. How are some of your favorite ways to be able to just avoid laying those $3 prices? If I look at some lines like, you know, Caesars offers – Will the
12: home team bat in the bottom of the ninth -180? No, Houston being the home team here -180. I have a hard time stomaching sometimes, but I do feel like Houston's going to be winning this ball game and not need to bat in the bottom of the ninth. So, in some instances like that, I'll look I'd be more apt to go team total under in this one and I like playing unders more so than I like playing overs anyway. I mean, hitters right now a great average is hitting 300 at this point you're still out seven out of ten times so I would rather back the better pitcher you don't really feel comfortable going unders when you're going you know with a team like Houston but they're not one of the best hitting teams in all of major league baseball solid no doubt you're Don Alvarez I mentioned the hard hit contact numbers but you know teams like the Mets and the Yankees they have better numbers as far as on base percentage is concerned and whatnot so yeah I wouldn't be scared of them but again Glenn Otto is not somebody I feel comfortable so it's probably a team total under sort of play for me if I'm looking at the Texas Rangers although those sometimes backfire I I backed Oakland this past Sunday two and a half, thinking I got it the whole time, and then San Francisco's bullpen melted down in the eighth innings. Two and a half number is a tough one to go under sometimes, even if you get the plus money, but that's probably the way I'd look.
5: Yep, and then even taking a look at something like Justin Verlander to record a win, as I'm doing this right now, I'm not really seeing numbers on that, but that could be a way to be able to reduce the juice if you do think that Verlander's going to have a good start, and I certainly think so, and Well, if Melissa Verlander winds going less than five, that would be a shock to me. You should be in relatively good standing there as well. So there are a lot of ways playing the minus $3, just not something that you need to do and not something that I necessarily recommend. And it sounds like Chris in the same boat as myself there. As we do have Christian does a great job over there at the Buy the Book show at Monumental Sports Network. He's joining me on the podcast. And I know you're out there in the, as they call it, DMV area and One of those teams out there, that is the Baltimore Orioles playing meaningful baseball in the middle of August. They've been playing really well in the series against Toronto. Now they find themselves right around a plus 135 underdog with Dean Kramer going for them. Meanwhile, it's Jose Barrios on the other side for Toronto. I have to take a look at Jose Barrios just so differently home to road. At home, he's actually someone that you can back to some success. He's actually been pitching very well in Toronto. This guy, even going back to his days in Minnesota. Cannot pitch on the road. I want to make him this a relative pick game. So getting this big number with Baltimore, I feel very good about it. Not sure what your thoughts are on this game. and just Baltimore as a whole, but I think they, they present some really good value. And Dean Kramer has really been a revelation for this team this season.
12: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, his last start against the Pirates, it was a one nothing game there. He lowered his ERA to 343 in that one. Hasn't exactly been getting major strikeout numbers in his last four starts there, but that's okay. You know, you've pointed this out, Greg, on your show a number of times, the Orioles and how great their bullpen's been. 309 ERA and getting motivation from guys like Rudin and Odor, who was DFA'd, but, you know, instilling confidence in guys like Bautista back there, who after Jorge Lopez was traded, he became the guy there. Baltimore to me, look, you didn't trade Anthony Santander. That's still a pretty good bat for you in that lineup with some pop. Austin Hayes, Ryan Maucastle. If this team is really going to be making a run towards the postseason Obviously, the pitching needs to step up. You know, you can't have Spencer Watkins getting bombed here on some of his starts. But you need Mountcastle to probably be hitting with more consistency. Austin Hayes hasn't exactly been hitting a ton of home runs here. Cedric Mullins, we know his speed on the base paths. Jorge Mateo playing good defense, being able to steal as well here too. Adley Rutschman doubles machine playing well. Losing Trey Mancini. I was listening to him on the Peacock game, speaking with uh, the announcers there for NBC and You know, his bat's been great for Houston, but just his presence in the locker room and just his jovial disposition and attitude there, I'm sure hurts. But Michael Ice flew to the team as soon as these moves were made and said, we are not punting on this season. We are going for it. You know, did have, what, three and a half games above the Red Sox coming into Tuesday's action? Who would have saw that? I think Baltimore can very much be in the mix here. You would have liked to have seen them win that game Sunday against Pittsburgh, but, you know, sometimes it just doesn't go your way. Pittsburgh occasionally has those games where they break out, not too often. Yeah, Baltimore in the midst of a tough stretch are going to have a lot of uh, games in the division, but if I looked at the schedule, it's not too daunting. They can certainly get three wild The last conversation you and I had are we that scared of this Tampa Bay Rays offense? I'm not personally. So I think t- uh, Baltimore can certainly be in the mix when it comes to playoff time.
5: Yep. And the Orioles and the Blue Jays, the Orioles being three games back of the Blue Jays and the Blue Jays being the top wild card team going into what we wound up seeing on Tuesday. As we're recording this, the Orioles are in the lead. And if they wind up pulling that off because they entered into the day just one game back of the Seattle Mariners for that last wild card. You never know, and plus, I think that they've got a little bit of a pitching edge when it comes to Wednesday as well, because Jose Barrios, as I mentioned, he has not been trustworthy on the road, so I do think that there's a path forward for the Baltimore Orioles. As joining me on the podcast, we do have Chris Sheehan, and when it comes to the National League side of things, I think that it's a little bit more decided with regards to some of the wild cards. You've got the Milwaukee Brewers who are falling out, and I don't think that they're going to be catching the San Diego Padres or anything like that, but... I do think that this matchup is going to be very intriguing. We've seen the Phillies come on a little bit. They made some moves at the deadline. North or Syndergaard is going to be on the bump for them going up against Sandy Alcantara. And right now with the Miami Marlins, it's just a case of which they've got no bats out there whatsoever. Everyone's all sorts of banged up. It's finding a total on this game at 7.5 in a lot of spots. And Miami, anywhere between about plus 110 to a plus 120. And I think that this has to be a correlated play. I personally think that the Miami Marlins have a little bit of value here with plus money. But if you think that the Miami Marlins have value, you probably also like the under. Meanwhile, if you like the Philadelphia Phillies, you can still like the under, no question about that. But the way that I take a look at it is the only way that the Miami Marlins wind up winning this game, in my opinion, is is in like some sort of a two to one, three to two, low scoring, very much pitcher's duel sort of game. Not sure if you disagree with me there, but I think that if you like the Miami Marlins in the spot, it's a little bit correlated with the total as well.
12: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, on one hand, you can look at Noah Syndergaard plus four ERA on the season here. Certainly not what he was when he was like, and it wasn't like a long stretch where he was dominating with the Mets, but. You know, I remember taking some strikeout props on him and they were like automatic. But when you're facing this Miami Marlins lineup, this is a spot where he can prove to the hard-nosed Philadelphia fans here who can be tough. Philadelphia players love playing there because of that, the passion that these fans bring. Well, if Cindergard has himself a great start, and they'll back him there. You know, and you've got a Marlins team here in the month of August, second worst on-base percentage. On the other side, Philadelphia is the third highest OBP there. They've got themselves 15 home runs in the month of August, which is near the top of the league. In fact, it is the highest in the league. So is this the spot where I would be liking Philadelphia? I certainly think so here. Kyle Schwarber, hes hes He's not hitting for average, but he brings the blast-off ability. Reese Hoskins is somebody, too, that has really come together. Alec Boehm puts... Pretty good bat to ball, even though you know has had some inconsistencies this year. Derek Hall too, Homer recently. Gene Segura being back. I heard the GM of Philadelphia talking about the acquisition of Brandon Marsh, being 24 years old here. I mean, that was an upgrade over guys like Odubel Herrera who were not producing here. Kind of some of the old Joe Girardi mainstays that they tried. Didi Gregorius, Philadelphia kind of looking progressively and looking to the future here and say we gotta you know stop holding on to some of these guys who have had pop and. And play some of our younger guys and seemingly working out now you've got Sandy Alcantara I mean that's a tough you know guy on the other side there too this is a tough spot for me Greg don't really have as much of a play on this one I was looking more so at another NLE team for Tuesday evening the Braves here just because Kyle Wright is somebody I kind of feel more confidently in than a Noah Sindergaard type Sandy Alcantara I would like but Philadelphia the way they're swinging the bats it's just hard for me to back Miami
5: Yeah, I do agree with you there. I do see a little bit of value on Miami, but that's because I think that Sandy Alcantara is just going to be able to shut down the Philadelphia Phillies. And, well, if Sandy Alcantara doesn't wind up going seven-plus innings, giving up two runs or fewer, it's going to be really tough for Miami in this one with the way that they've had just so many guys banged up. And, well, we've seen their offense on display the last few weeks. Has not been good. As joining me on the podcast, Someone who is good, Chris Sheehan. He is trying to be breaking down this card. And when it comes to what we're going to be getting on Wednesday, is there anything else that's really standing out to you? We've got a few games that are off the board, but by and large, we do have much of it as currently up with overnight numbers and going to be some very fascinating games. As I mentioned, we've got a couple $3 favorites out there as well. But anything really standing out to you?
12: Yeah, I want to back Atlanta in some capacity, Greg. And I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, I've heard you discuss Kyle right before and you covering him at the Lower levels over a fifty three percent ground ball rate. Now he's been giving up some home runs four against the Mets last Thursday, five totals prior four starts. But you know two of those starts came against Washington, one against Arizona, one against LA. Not, not exactly off offensive juggernauts, but I would rather target these Braves bats at least among batters with at least three hundred at bats against right and pitching only. Aaron Judge, Matt Chapman, and Wilson Contreras have a higher, hard hit rate higher than Matt Olson, And right behind him is Austin Riley. And then William Contreras, if he's in, he's got an absurd home run to fly ball rate gets righty. So I think they can really attack Nick Pavetta, who's given up at least seven hits in each of his last six starts. Another one, Greg, kind of a later game here on this Wednesday slate. I'm looking at Pittsburgh and Arizona, you know, kind of wanted to target Madison Bumgarner at first. Only five starters of a higher hard-hit rate against them than Bumgarner. Against righties, it's nearly a 40% hard-hit rate, but I was looking at this Pirates lineup. I mean, Kevin Newman, Michael Chavis, a 285 on-base percentage. Only the Marlins have a lower LBP against lefties than Pittsburgh does. Mitch Keller looking better. 13 ground. Balls generated against Baltimore. Only six earned runs in his last 31 innings pitched. I know Pittsburgh has a fifth-worst bullpen array, and Bednar's hurt, But I think I would look to maybe an under in this spot here because I think Bumgarner and Keller could maybe look pretty good. And I'm seeing a number of eight on the overnight. I think I would maybe look under in this Pittsburgh-Arizona game. Two teams not going to the postseason. I don't know who has the higher ceiling maybe coming into 2023. Maybe Arizona. But, you know, sometimes you find these spots in these games and you like betting. I can enjoy it at least.
5: Yeah, but I certainly can as well. And when it comes to the Arizona Diamondbacks, one of the best horns home under teams all season long in baseball. So that is going to be intriguing to take a look at, which is why we're seeing this very low total of eight. Not necessarily because Pum Gardner and Keller are lighting the world on fire, though I will say Mitch Keller has been a little bit more respectable recently, but certainly it comes back to the fact that you've got a pair of teams that they are not doing a great job of being able to put back to ball, and I'm right there with you. It doesn't matter whether it's Yankees versus the Mariners where you've got two teams with a lot of postseason aspirations or you wind up getting the Pittsburgh Pirates and the Arizona Diamondbacks. Teams are looking to build for 2023 and beyond. Winning tickets, they wind up cashing the same, and Chris, I know that you do agree job of being able to find the good people a lot of those i know you're doing amazing work over there at the monumental sports network and on top of that you mentioned it. You're getting set for the football season, not just betting it, but also doing a little bit of coaching out there on that front as well. I know that you do a great job in just many different sectors. So let the good people know, know they're able to follow you on social media and everything that you've got going on in general.
12: Absolutely. At the Big Cheese Show on Twitter. Appreciate your kind words, Greg. We're going to be ramping up here. Some of our NFL futures content on Buy the book. Certainly recommend following my co-host Meg McDonald on Buy the book as well. She's really going to be having some conversations content when it comes to some of these golf tournaments coming up. Golf's not necessarily my sport, but she grinds on that big time. So we're coming and bringing all the different sports as we're entering into a busy time of year in the sports world. So Greg, thank you for having me on.
5: Always do appreciate it. Chris does a great job taking a look at the game of baseball. Does a great job over there hosting the show by the book Monday through Friday. And whenever he joins this podcast, lends some great nuggets as well. So a big thanks, Chris, for joining me right here on the Baseball Betting Show, now part of the BC Family Podcast. And coming up next, it is at time the podcast. I give you a fix and analysis on every game on the betting board for this MLB Wednesday as we touch them all.
8: Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Breaking down every game, every day in Major League Baseball, this is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson. And
5: we're back here in Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now a part of the Beeson Family Podcast. A big thanks to Chris Cheehan. does a great job over there at Monumental Sports Network, doing an amazing job taking a look day in and day out at the game of baseball, and on top of that, for those of you guys that love football, he's doing a great job except for the upcoming season as well. It is always a pleasure to get on the board, so big thanks to him for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast I give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this MLB Wednesday as we touch them all.
0: If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time
5: to touch them all. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at Junet underscore 81. We are going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. This is where we wind up going with the National League games first, then the American league games, any interleague games, those are going to be at the bottom, that'll keep things all nice, neat, clean, and easy, so without further ado, let's get into it, starting with a demonstrative line of 951, 952 on the betting board, the Cincinnati Reds, yes, we are on to Cincinnati, they're on to the road, they're going to be facing off against the New York Mets, Tywon Walker is going to be going for the Mets, and TJ Zoich, spelled Z-E-U-C-H, is going to be going for the Redlegs. The Reds are an underdog of between plus 250 and plus 260. Minus $3 is your price right now on the Mets. I'll just give you the run line. It is minus 145 on the Reds. And your Don's this game is signed. Under 70, between minus 120, minus 125. Or it's between even and minus 105. I was willing to lay up to a minus 160 on this run line. I would need at least a plus 286 to take a shot on the Reds. And take a look at our good friend, Mr. Zoykin. He's gotten a couple cups of of coffee at the big league level with the Toronto Blue Jays in recent years. And at the big league level in his 13 appearances, 7 starts, he's got a 4.59 ERA, but I know he's been a little bit lucky along the way. He's been averaging at the big league level 5.5 strikeouts of 4.4 walks per 9 innings, giving up 1.7 home runs per 9 innings. And over with Louisville and Memphis at the AAA level thus far this season. It's not been great. He's got an 0-5 record with a 670 ERA at the minors. It's not like he's coming in in great form or anything like that. Four and a half walks per nine with 1.6 home runs per nine and 11 and a half hits surrendered per nine innings. This is in the independent league of Louisville and Memphis. This is not like where you have got a bunch of humidity, the juice balls, anything like that, and then you take a look at Taiwan Walker and he got absolutely destroyed in his last start against the Atlanta Braves, giving up eight runs over the course of an inning. Prior to that, he had given up three runs or fewer in pretty much nine out of his last ten starts. You take that start out of the fold, he has actually been very, very solid for this New York Metropolitan team, as overall for the season, he's a lot less than a home run per nine innings. The thing with him is that his strikeout number are down. He's only getting right around 7 punch outs per 9 innings, but that said, he also has been able to do a good job with only about 2.5 walks per 9 innings, and you take a look at what he was able to do prior to him having that relative blow-up start that we wanted to seeing against the Atlanta Raves overall for the season. His ERA was a 2.79, and really dating back from June 7th on, so his previous 10 starts. He was posting up some good numbers with a 273 ERA in that time span. I do think that he's going to be a bounce back against a Reds lineup in which you still have some guys out there Shot that India is hitting a 250 overall for the season. He's been hitting right around a 300 over the last 30 days. You've got Joey Votto who's got some pride he's able to take Guys deep still. So I do think that the Reds are going to be able to scratch across a couple of runs, even though if you take a look at it, home and the road splits, they're averaging about a run and a half more when they are at home rather than on the road with right around three and a half runs per game on the road. And then for the New York Metropolitans, Pete Alonso has been incredible. He's been able to put up north of 90 RBI. He's sitting on 29 home runs right now as he, Mark Canna, able to throw in their Francisco Lindor Luis Galorme, all in between about a 265 to a 280. Charlie Marte of the Marte Parte has a double-digit amount of bombs. He's got a 350 on base. And Daniel Vogelback since coming over, he has been a chunky wonder for this bunch, being able to do a good job of being able to move the line in for the Reds. Worst bullpen in terms of ERA in the big leagues, Alexis Diaz has actually been very good for this team. He's posting up a Sub 250 ERA thus far this season, but then you wind up getting into Buck Farmer, Ian gabo who Ian gabo now has a 360 ERA, so he'll be excluded from this list. But right here Martin Hunter Strickland, Joel Kuno, all these guys have north of a five ERA. And then for the New York Mets, it's been a little bit touch and go with regards to the bullpen as well. But over the last 45 days, they rank at the top eight. In terms of bullpen ERA, Adonis Medina is a relatively solid long guy. Seth Lugo's had this ups and downs thus far this season, but you've been able to get some good endings recently out of. Jolie Rodriguez. He wound up being able to give the team 7 outs in that win on Sunday against the Atlanta Braves. Edwin Diaz has been able to lock down for the C Michael Givens since he has come over from the Cubs has not necessarily been so great, but I do think that you're going to have Tywan Walker be able to bounce back here. I think for Zoic, he winds up leaving this game very early. Just has never been able to prove it at the big league level, but I do think that the way that Walker is able to pitch, going to be able to keep this total under because New York does end up having a very pitcher-friendly stadium, so semi told it at any point Looking under, I think the the Mets really take it to the Reds in this one, We'll to lay up to a minus 160 on the run line. So looking at Mets run line and the under 953, 954 on the betting board. The Washington Nationals, they are going to be in the red faceoff against the Chicago Cubs. Justin Steele is going to be going for the Cubs and Josiah Gray on the bump for Washington. No total up on this game. That is decided in the AM because the Wrigley Field wind has a lot to play with it, but I tell you right now, it looks like there's not going to be much wind really going either way. This should not wind up being too much of a factor in this game, but you are finding the Cubs in between a minus 165 to a minus 175 favorite. Between plus 150 and plus 155, your price on Washington. No run lands up because that is based on the wind as well, but getting anything of a plus 115 or greater, I'd be willing to take the Cubs on the run line. I made the minus 177 on the money line and with having relatively fair conditions in this one, I did mind him making my total on 8.2 so 8 or less I'll be looking at and over. And a half higher to the under. With Josiah Gray, it's been interesting to take a look at him because he has been almighty awful at home this year. On the road, he's been very good. A 325 roadie or a 5-1 record in terms of decisions in his 10 starts. Now he has been giving up the deep ball. 28 home runs, surrendered in 106 innings that by far leads the league he needs to come down on the walks as well. His walks per nine rate, that is in the neighborhood about four, so it's honestly been too terrific, but Justin Steele himself, he's got his walks issues as overall for the season, Mr. Steele has been giving up a little bit over four walks per nine innings, significantly better at being able to keep the ball in the yard, especially in regularly Field. Two bombs give it up in 59 and a third innings 303 home area compared to a 471 ERA on the road and with Washington, as we know, they don't have a lot of firepower when it comes to this lineup. Now, you still have guys that have pride. They're going to give you solid at-bats. Luis Garcia has been able to hit about a .285. Doesn't walk at all, but has been able to get on base. Got a lot of guys hitting in that pocket of, I would say, about a two thirty-five to a 245. Nelson Cruz, Luke Voigt, Lane Thomas, Ace Hernandez, El Vargas, you're able to go down the line, keep out of Wheeze. He's in that fold as well, with Voigt being able to give the team a double-digit amount of homers. but for the Cubs, you do have a little bit more firepower. As Wilson, Contreras, throw in there, Patrick Wisdom. These guys have been able to combine for 36 home runs with Contreras, Ian App, both of these guys right around a 355 to a 365 on base. Nico Horner has been able to 3-0. Now, Zach McKinstry has had a season to forget, but Christopher Morrell has made able to do a good job of be able to move the line. And for the Cubs, they did wind up trading away a few pieces at the deadline from that bullpen that, really prior to the deadline over the last 45 days, they were a top-five bullpen, but that said, you still have Eric Yulman. I think that he's going to be able to do a relatively okay job for the scene. Brandon Hughes has had his ups and downs, but it's been relatively solid. And Anderson Espinoza under the radar, he has been very good on the bullpen for the team. A little bit more of a long guy that's been able to provide a three-ish ERA. Justin Seale with his walks issues might wind up getting bounced a little bit early and for the Nationals, the bullpen has been a little bit more respectable itself as you've had Steve C. Sheck and Kyle Finnegan be able to calm things down. Both of these guys have a sub 380 ERA. And RV has had his ups and downs recently, but Carl Edwards Jr. He's been able to provide right around a 345 ERA. You don't necessarily have anyone that's necessarily locked down, but you don't have too many Albatrosses in this bullpen as well. So, did mind him saying my total at an 8.28 or less looking over 8.5 prior to the under. My figure is I'm probably going to be looking at the Cubs on a run line when it's all said and done, but that is going to be dictated by what. But we wind up getting in the AM. Plus 115 or greater, going to be looking at a Cubs run line. 955, 956 on the bending board. These San Francisco Giants, they are going to be on the road. They are going to be facing off against the San Diego Padres, as Chaminade is going to be going for the pods, and Jacob Junis is going to be on the bump for San Francisco. San Francisco finding themselves an underdog between plus 140 and plus 150. Meanwhile, on the pods, it's anywhere between minus 155 and minus 165 with 8. Your total, the over is between minus 120 and minus 125. Under is anywhere between even a plus 105, seeing straight 8.5 out there as well. On the NF under is minus 120, and the over is even. I'm looking at the under. I did wind up setting my total at a 7.8 and I do think that you've got a little bit of value here with the Giants. I needed at least a plus 135 to be able to take a shot And When it comes to the San Francisco Giants bunch, you've been able to have Jacob Junis be able to do a solid job of keeping the ball down and being able to hold down the for it thus far this season. He's been giving up right around one home run per nine innings, two walks per nine. He's been relatively solid now ever since coming off the injured of list. He's been mostly going about four or so innings, but you take a look at what he's been able to do on the road four starts, and a long relief appearance, 25 and a third innings in total. He's given up two home runs and a buck seventy-eight ERA with opponents seeing a buck 89 off of him, so that's been relatively impressive. Strikeout stuff, it's not great, it's not terrible, right around 7.5 strikeouts per nine innings, and I just have my trepidations with Sean Maneo. He's got a 435 home ERA, 505 ERA on the road. He's just been giving up gopher balls all season long, one and a half home runs per nine innings, worth of three walks per nine innings, and it's getting progressively worse as the season goes along. He's going to need to work on this because in his last five Starts a 6 6 6 ERA. Either give up a run or wind up pitching a squirrel is saying just any way to get off of 6 6 6, please, because that is not great. But in that time span, what else is not great? Giving up a 315 batting average as well. So that is far from great. He has won 12 innings and in his two starts as far this year against San Francisco, giving up six runs. So nothing great, nothing terrible. I'm just still a little bit befuddled as to how the Giants have a top 10 offense out in the big leagues because you take a look at this lineup and it's not necessarily overly impressive. Therio Estrada, a Along with Jack Peterson, both of these guys have been able to give you between 15 and 17 home runs or both hitting in that neighborhood about 8 245. and then you've been able to have a little bit of success here as well when it comes to what you've been able to get out of someone like a Luis Gonzalez. He and Austin Slater hanging in that pocket about a 265 to a 275. Estrada, he's hanging in that 265 range as well, but guys like Austin Wins, Joey Bart, Lamonte Wade, Brandon Crawford, you're able to go down the line of guys hanging at 220 or lower. It's been very extensive, and for the Padres, the offense just has not been able to mesh at this point. Manny Machado, under the radar, has had his big-time struggles ever since the beginning of the month of July. In this time span, he has been hitting in that pocket of about a 215 to a 220. Now, Josh Bell is able to move the line. He's hitting about a 295 brand new jewelry. Juan Soto entered into yesterday with 21 home runs. So you've got some good, solid pieces there. Hassan awesome Kim, Austin awesome Nola, Drixon Profar and Soto himself in between about a 245 to 255. So you've got some relative stability there and Josh Ader being added to that bullpen. That certainly helps it out. Tim Hill over the last three days, he's been relatively solid posting up a sub three ERA in that time span. You've had your ups and downs with Robert Suarez, but he's able to give you some good innings. About so Chrisman is able to provide multiple innings as well, but I do think that going can get a little bit blown up and for the Giants, they themselves rank in the bottom 10. In terms of bullpen ERA, John Garcia along Camilo Duvall, John Brebio, All these guys have been relatively solid this year. All these guys posting up a 320 ERA or better. It's when you get into guys like Junior Marte, Tyler Rogers that have really been less than trustworthy. I do think that the Giants are going to be able to keep this game relatively low. Scoring San Diego, one of the most pitcher friendly ballparks. They're going to find out there in the big leagues. I think that June is going to be able to continue his road success. So looking at the under and looking at the plus price with San Francisco. 957, 958 on the bank board. It is the Miami Marlins. They hit the road. They're facing off against the Philadelphia Phillies. It's North or It's going to be going for the Phillies and Cindy Alcantara is going to be going for Miami. Miami is an underdog. Anywhere between plus 110 to plus 120. Meanwhile, if we're taking a look at the fills, it's anywhere between minus 125 and minus 132, and your total on game is 7 to seven half On the 7 right now, the only place that has it is DraftKings. Over is minus 135. The under is plus 115. On the seven half. under is anywhere between minus 120 minus 125. Over is anywhere between even a plus 105. If I had access to it, I would love that plus 115 on under of 7 because I said my total I think that like we were talking about with Chris, this is a case in which if you like the Miami Marlins, you probably like a low scoring game. If you think that Sandy Alcantara is not going to be able to give a great start, there's just really no way to be able to back the Miami Marlins because this is a lineup that they just got all sorts of warts right now. They have scored three runs or fear and I believe, each out of their last five games. You really don't have anyone doing a great job of being able to go yard for this team. Asus Aguiar, thus far this season, has been able to give you 13 home runs, but having Jazz Shislam, having Ode Oler out of the fold, it has really taken its toll as Garrett Cooper is pretty much the only guy other than a young infielder in Charles LeBlanc, who he wound up entering it yesterday with 27 career at as and is hitting above a 270 for this team so yeah your issues there brian de la cruz jacob stallings and so many others are currently hitting a 225 or lower. So it's just been a really sad state of affairs for the team. And then for the Philadelphia Phillies, you do have an offense that it's been a little bit touch and go itself. You've been seeing someone like Matt Vierling getting some starts. That's not necessarily ideal. But Gene Segura, he's back out there on the field. He's hitting above a 280 for the season. Didi Gregorius has been a little bit banged up. That has hurt them. But JT Realmuto, he's all of a sudden been able to find it. He goes E for his 13th home run of the season yesterday, and under the radar for Riomito, hitting a 3.75 over the last three days, so he's been solid. Kyle Schwarber, he's gotten north of 30 home runs, but he's only hitting a 2.10 for the seam, and Sandy Alcantara has had great success when pitching against Philadelphia thus far this season, and I mean, the guy has really had success pitching against everyone thus far this season. He has went at least seven innings, and now 13 out of his last 15 starts. He has allowed two earned runs or fewer in all but two of those starts as well. So, guy has been absolutely masterful. You take a look at what he's been able to do on the road thus far this season. A buck 98 ERA, giving up three home runs in 68 and a third innings. He has been the biggest workhorse out there in the league. And even with his anti air quotes here struggles over the last three days, a 206 ERA has made three starts against the Philadelphia Phillies, giving up six runs in 22 innings. So, he's had his success there. And for North Harveston guard, certainly looked relatively solid in his time with the LA Angels. But when he's been away from Los Angeles this year, it has been a little bit of an issue for him. His ERA away from L.A., it's hovering right around a 525. His home runs per nine rate, not necessarily demonstrative. He's given up a little bit over a home run per nine innings. And thus far, the season overall has been able to do a good job of keeping the walks down right around 2.3 walks per nine innings, but opponents are hanging at 258 off of him because his strikeout numbers, they're way down. He's getting fewer than seven strikeouts per nine innings. So He's backed up by David Robertson who's been able to do a very solid job in the bullpen. Big trade deadline acquisition. Corey canable has been good in the seventh innings, Sir Anthony Dominguez, Brad Hand, these guys are able to do a solid job as well for Miami. No doubt it's a case in which the bullpen has not necessarily been too terrific, especially with Anthony Bass now the full, but Richard Blyer, Dylan Floro, both of these guys are able to deliver some respectability right around four-ish is their ERA. You've had Stephen Oakert be able to give you a sub-3 ERA. Tanner Scott has had his ups and downs this season, but has been able to deliver 15 saves as well, and you don't have to factor in the bullpen as much with the Marlins, because I do think that Sandy Alcantara going to go deep. I think that both of these pitchers are going to be rock solid, but I think that Miami gets just enough off of North Thor Syndergaard for Alcantara to be able to pick up the W in this one. Willing to take the plus price here with Miami. I was willing to take pretty much anything above a plus 105, and with my total, set it at a 6.7, so looking under as well. 9.59, 9.60 on the banking board. The Red Rockies are going to be playing against the St. Louis Cardinals. Jose Kitana is going to be going for the Cards, and Kyle Freeland is on the bump for Colorado. Colorado, an underdog of any between plus 135 and plus 150. If you're taking a look at St. Louis, you're going to be getting them in between minus 150 and minus 160. 11 is your total. Over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between even and minus 110. I needed at least plus 143 to take a shot on Colorado, and we have certainly been able to get there. The big thing with Colorado is that it happens every single year with this team. They've got very, very demonstrative home and road splits, and we have seen that manifest itself once again. The biggest thing for Colorado is the deep ball. They're getting right around 1.2 home runs per game when they're at home. 0.6 on the road. Some like a CJ Krohn. He's been able to deliver 16 home runs at home thus far this season, just six on the road. Brendan Rodgers, out of his 10 home runs, nine of them. Havana coming at home. You're able to go down the line with these guys. The Colorado Rockies as a collective. They're rating about 40 points higher when they are at home rather than when they are on the road. And then for the St. Louis Cardinals, you certainly have your two managers out there. That'd be Paul Goldschmidt along Dolan going into what we wound up seeing yesterday. A combined 46 home runs out of these two gentlemen. Paul Goldschmidt, right now the odds on favor to be able to win MVP with the way that he's been able to deliver a 414 on base. But the rest of the guys in this lineup looking a little bit rough. They've been dealing with injuries to guys like Juan Yepez and company and Tommy Edman, right around 20 stolen bases. He's been able to 255, but Nolan Gorman, Dylan Carlson, Lars Newtbar all these guys are in between about a 230 to a 245. Paul DeYoung is starting to pick it up a little bit, but still well below the Mendoza line of 200 for the season end for Colorado. You've got a lot of guys out there in the bullpen that pitch significantly better at home rather than on the road. Someone like Lucas Gilbreth has been able to give you a sub-3 ERA at home. That winds up ballooning to right around a 5-ish when he is on the road. You've been able to get some relatively solid innings as well out of Alex Colomay and Daniel Bard. Colomay has a home ERA that is sub-2 on the road. That winds getting way away from him. And for the St. Louis Cardinals, gotta love the way that Genesis Cabrera is able to give you multiple innings. Ryan Helsel He's been able to give you a sub-1 ERA or next. He has found his own once again in the bullpen. It was a little bit of a failure as a starter. You sort of figured that was um, not going to go well. Packy Naughton is able to give you multiple innings as well, but for Kyle Friedland, I do think that he's going to be able to go out here and give a relatively solid start. It's actually been a little bit better on the road rather than at home this season. 353 road ERA, 555 ERA at home. Big reason why. Nine home runs at 61 and two-thirds innings. A lot at home. Four bombs at 58 and two-thirds innings on the road, but I do think that he's going to be able to pick it up. Never has been too much of a swing and miss guy. Right. Around six, six half strikeouts per nine innings, but he's been able to keep the walks down to like two-and-a-half per nine innings. Meanwhile, for Jose Quintana, he's been able to do a very solid job when he's been in more, shall we say, pitcher-friendly environments. As on the road this season, a 522 ERA. Very much a pitcher contact guy. Has not been getting a whole bundle of swings and misses thus far this season with right around 7.7, 7.8 punchouts per nine innings. Walks right around 2.7, 2.8 nine innings as well, and in his one start against Colorado earlier this season, gave up six runs over the course of five innings. I do think that this is a ballpark that just does not suit Kitana well, which is why I'm willing to take the plus price here with the Colorado Rockies. Did want to saying total at 11.1 as well. Freeland has had his struggles at home. Kitana just, I do not think, is built for pitching in Colorado, so looking at the over and looking at Colorado. 961, 962 on the banking board. The Pittsburgh Pirates hit the road. They're facing off against the Arizona Diamondbacks. Matt Bum, Madison Bumgarner are going to be going for the Snakes, and Mitch Thunder is going to be on the bum for Pittsburgh. gate is your total over and under are both at minus 110 and with Arizona you're going to be finding them anywhere between a minus 160 to seeing his eyes on minus 190. Favorite if you're Looking at the Buccos, you're going to be finding them anywhere between a plus 148 and a plus 160. And I tell you right now, I would need at least a plus 165 to take a shot on the Pittsburgh Pirates. If you're looking at the run line of Arizona, you're going to be finding that at a little bit more of a palatable number as you're getting that anywhere between about a plus 120 to a plus 130. I need at least a plus 123 to be able to take a shot, so plus 125 or greater. Sign me up for the Arizona run line, and a big reason why is just because we were talking about it with Chris. The big thing with this Pittsburgh Pirates team is that you've got absolutely no offense whatsoever. Kevin Newman has been able to move the line, inning about a 267. He's got as many home runs as Greg Peterson right now. Onyo Cruz has been able to give you a couple deep balls, but he, Rodolfo Castro, Greg Allen, Yoshi Satsugo many others currently hitting a 220 or lower for this bunch. Ben Gamble, Brian A's, Brian Reynolds, these guys are able to move the line with north of a 320 on base, and for Reynolds, 16 home runs, but only guy in the starting lineup yesterday with more than 10 bombs and for the years and the diamondbacks, they certainly have been able to hit the deep ball a little bit more on the road rather than at home, right around 1.4 home runs per game on the road, more like 0.9 when they are at home, but you've now got yeah, guys that are starting to do a better job of being able to get on base as Jake McCarthy, Alec Thomas, Kitao Marte of the Marte Parte only between about a 254 To a 265, Josh Ross has been able to 270. Christian Walker has not been able to deliver a lot of average as he, Geraldo Perdomo, Sergio Acanta, Seth Beer. These guys are all eating a 220 or lower, but for Walker, 26 bombs as far this season, and for Arizona, they're dealing with an injury to Kyle Nelson out there in the bullpen. That winds up hurting them, but Joe Mantiply still has been relatively solid for the team. When you've had Sean Poppin out there, he's been good. Unfortunately, he is out of the fold as well, so you're left with more guys like Chris Davinsky and company. They do wind up getting back Ian Kennedy. That winds up helping them out And for Pittsburgh. Over the last 50 days, they've been a bottom-five bullpen out there in the big leagues as well, but you have been able to have a few guys be able to just step up. We'll Crow Chase Young, both of these guys posting up a sub 3-4 ERA. Both of these guys are able to give you multiple innings. Colin Holderman, Yuri De Los Santos. These guys have been unsung heroes for the team as well, but I do think that it's going to be a little bit difficult in this one for Mitch Keller as well because with Keller, the big thing for him has always been the walks issues as He's been giving up in terms of walks per nine right around about 3.3, 3.4. as a 4.12 road ERA compared to a 4.30 ERA at home. So he's actually been able to do a little bit of a better job when he has been on the road. Giving up a little bit less than a home run per nine. And he, so he's been able to do a solid job there. And you do take a look at the last 30 days for Mitch Keller. He has a buck seventy four ERA across his last five starts. So credit where credit is due there. But still not getting a lot of swings and misses in this time span. He's been getting a little bit over six strike cuts per 9 innings. Meanwhile, for Madison Bumgarner, he has turned into very much a pitcher contact guy as he's been getting only about 6 half strikeouts per 9 innings. we will keep the walks down right around 3 walks per 9 innings. Problem Frame has been the deep ball giving up 1.4 home runs per 9 innings. That winds up going down a little bit at home 331 home ERA, compared to a 488 ERA on the road and his home runs per 9 rate a little bit lower when he is at home as well. And going up against the Pittsburgh Pairs, I think that it's a good match. Red Madison Bumgarner to be able to hold down the 4th semi some 7.9 with a pair of teams that are not doing a great job of being able to move the line and get on base. Both of these teams in the bottom 5 of the big leagues in terms of batting average, so looking at the under, and I'm going to be taking a look at the Diamondbacks on the run line. 963, 964 on the betting board. It is the LA Angels on the road facing off against the Oakland A's. Paul Blackburn walks the plank for the A's, and to be determined is going to be on the bump for Los Angeles. This is a game that's currently off the board. Last time Los Angeles was in a situation, they wanted to piggybacking Mike Myers and Aimee Baria, and you got to figure that that is going to be the same for this one. And the piggyback of Baria and Myers actually did not wind up working out too bad. Whether it be Myers or Baria, it's not really going to change my handicap too much. But I mean, these two guys combined for eight innings. They gave up two runs against the Seattle Mariners, and both of these guys for the year not too bad. Especially Aimee Baria, who's been able to give you a 265 right now has always shown so much more success when he has been in the role of coming out of the bullpen rather than being a starter. He has been very good in long relief thus far this season, giving up right around 1.2 home runs per 9 innings, but fewer than 2.5 walks per 9. Opponents are hitting just a 2.12 off of them, and for Mike Myers, he is able to deliver a little bit more in terms of swing and miss right around 8 strikeouts per 9 innings. Walks have always been a little bit of an issue, but they're trying to stretch him out a little bit, and seems like it's working out quite well for the LA Angels. What's not working out quite well for the LA Angels is the fact that they just have no offense whatsoever at this point. Troy Otani has been incredible. He's been able to give you 24 home runs, sitting a little bit above a two fifty. and you do have have Luis Ranifo along Taylor Ward both hanging in that pocket about a 272 275 but Ward has had a spiral downward recently hitting a 202 over the last 30 days, Jared Walsh over the last 40 days, he's been able to below the Middle line of two hundred, and then you get into guys like Steven Duggar, Max Stasi. You're able to throw in there someone like a Jose Rojas, Kurt Suzuki, a whole bunch of guys. And you get two twenty or lower, that's not great. And then for the Oakland A's, they just don't have anyone that's sitting above a two fifty on this roster. You do have Sean Murphy, thirteen bombs, he's made but about a two fifty. And for Oakland ever since the all-star break, they've been averaging right around 3.7 to 3.8 runs per game, so they are still giving you a solid effort. Guys like Sky Bolt, able to throw in there, Nick Allen, Tony Kemp, Jonah Pryde, these guys have not been good towards the bottom, but you do have some team bombs out of Seth Brown, who's been able to nearly a 300 over the last three days, getting home run every 11-12 to 12 at-bats in that time span as well. And for the Oakland A's, you do have Domingo Acevedo, A.J. Puck, throw in there, Zach Jackson, and Sam Ball, all guys they are able to give you a sub 3-4 ERA, and for the Angels, Aaron Loop, and Ryan Tapera, who are supposed to be good bullpen pieces for this team, and they both have been providing north of a 4 ERA, so that is a big-time issue. If you do wind up getting Blackburn versus Myers slash I'm Barilla, I'd be setting the A's right around about a minus 134-ish favorite because with Paul Blackburn you've got to figure that the most demonstrative splits I've ever seen in my life that make no sense are going to start to iron out a little bit because for Paul Blackburn thus far this season he's got an ERI at 831 at home and at 212 on the road Oakland is as pitcher friendly as it gets he has stunk on ice at home and and he's been amazing on the road, giving up nine home runs and 39 innings in Oakland. That shouldn't be possible compared to six bombs in 72 at two-thirds innings when he's been on the road. I mean, and opponents are getting 100 points higher off of him when he's in Oakland. It just makes absolutely no sense. I think that he's going to be able to bounce back. I think there's going to be negative regression when he winds up in the road, positive progression when he is at home. Very much a pitch-to-contact guy right around seven strikeouts per nine innings. has been able to keep the walks down right around 2.4-ish walks per nine innings. has been giving up the home run ball a little bit, but when it says the A's, minus 134. Here's something my total at 7.1. 7 or less, we'll be looking at an over 7.5 or higher to the under. Big reason why I wound up going north of 7 is because this is a daytime game out there in Oakland. Marine layers out during the nighttime. During the daytime, it plays a little bit more hitter-friendly. So 7 or less, looking at an over 7.5 or higher to the under. 965, 966 on the bank board. You've got the New York Yankees on the road facing off against the Seattle Mariners. Robbie Ray is going to be going for the M's, and Nestor Cortez is on the bump. Or the Yankees. Yankees are between minus 125 and minus 135. Favorites. Meanwhile, with Seattle, it's anywhere between plus 110 and plus 120 with 7.5 being your total. The over and the under are both anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115, and when it comes to the Yankees, was willing to lay up to a minus 121 with them. I need at least a plus 121 to take a shot on Seattle, so I need essentially a penny more, and I do think that when it's all said and done, the money is probably going to be coming in on the New York Yankees in this spot, so I do anticipate this being a play on the Seattle Manors with Robbie Ray. He has been a completely different pitcher home to road on the road, Robbie Ray has certainly had his problems with the deep ball. Overall, he has had his problems with the deep ball, giving up right around 1.6 home runs per nine innings. But with that said, 280 home ERA compared to a 550 ERA on the road. He's given up eight home runs in 74 innings at home. Not too bad. On the road, he's given up more than two home runs per nine innings opponents during his About 60 points IR off of him as well. So that is not ideal. You do take a look at this Yankees lineup, and obviously you've got Aaron Judge doing all the things that Aaron Judge is doing right now, entering into ESJ, hitting 44 home runs, hitting above three, losing Matt Carpenter, and is going to be hurting them. But Matt Carpenter wasn't even necessarily an everyday player. He was just doing a very good job whenever he was out there. You saw DJ turn it up, LeMayu. He's been able to give you north of a 375 on base. Glaber Torres, 16 bombs, 260. Batting average, they have been without John Carlos Sant along with Anthony Rizzo in recent days. That does wind up hurting them quite a bit, but Jose Trevino has been able to do a good job of being able to move the line. Miguel Anduar figures to see a couple more at-bats as well. You've been able to have Andrew Benintendi. Sell solid job would be a reach and for the Seattle Mariners, or so without Julio Rodriguez. It's been unfortunate he's been able to deliver 18 bombs for the team, but now they wind up getting back Mitch Haniger, And last season, when fully healthy, was able to give the team 30 home runs. Adam Frazier, over the last three days, has been hitting darn near 350 for the team, tie France. He hits a 300 along Sam Haggerty in limited at bat. So these guys have been solid. Thing is, you've had guys like Abraham Toro, Gerald Kelnick, who's now back up at the big league bubble, Cal Raleigh, Dylan Moore hitting below a 220. So that's been a little bit of an issue, though, in Eugenio Suarez. He's got 18 bombs hitting right around a 230, but with a 320 ish on base. Seattle, they've had the top open in terms of ERA over the last 45 days, even with Diego Cascio currently on the injured list. You've had a lot of guys be able to step up. Andres Munoz over the last three months. He's been able to offer a sub-2 ERA. Also, we've had Penn Murphy and Paul Seawald offer a sub-245 ERA. as one well for the Yankees. Holmes has been looking a little bit shaky recently, but he, Wandy Peralta, Ray Maranacchio, these guys have been very solid in the bullpen this season. Maranacchio not going to be available for this game, but they do wind up picking up Scott Efres at the trade deadline. He's been able to deliver right around a three-ish ERA. I do think that he's going to do a, by and large, relatively solid job for this team as well. So, I do think that the Yankees have a little bit of a leg up with Nasty Nesser taking the mound And Nasty Cortez hasn't necessarily been the same when he's been on the road rather than at home, but still has been relatively solid 302 rotary Big thing is, he has given up 10 home runs over the course of 59 and two thirds innings on the road compared to three bounce in 52 and a third innings when he has bet at home. But overall, he's been giving up only about 2.3 bucks. 9 innings getting over 9 strikeouts per 9 innings and with the Seattle Mariners lineup in general just a little bit diminished I do think that the Yankees get the job done and I think it's going to be a relatively low scoring game but with the Yankees in seven and a 7.5 total it is just not safe especially with the way that Robbie Ray winds up giving up bombs is 7.7 so I'm going to be taking a look at this total over and with regards to the New York Yankees I'd be willing to lay up to a minus 120 with them with that said if we wind up getting up to a north of plus 120 like I think that we're going to be getting up to with the Seattle Mariners, going to be one to take there. So, going to be based on overnight line movement. But as I am preparing right now, I think that we are going to be taking the Seattle Mariners with Robbie Ray. 967-968, this is a an DK and Asian pick as the Toronto Blue Jays hit the red off against the Baltimore Orioles. Dean Kramer is going to be going for the Orioles. And Jose Barrios is going to be on the bump for Toronto, Toronto is between a minus 141 and a minus 155 favorite and between plus 131 and plus 140 your price on Baltimore 9 is your total over and under both at minus 110 you can't age pick is going to be on the Baltimore Orioles I want to making them a very very slight minus 103 favorite and the reason why is that Jose Barrios is absolutely terrible on the road and always has been 519 ERA overall and the reason why 323 home ERA 6-0 and in his decisions 2-4 and four in his decisions on the road with a 7.50 ERA given up 15 homers in 54 innings when he's been on the road compared to 9 bombs in 64 innings. At home, um, he has not necessarily been able to do the world's greatest job in terms of getting strikeouts this year, right around eight punch-outs for nine innings. That's a little bit down from opponents running at two seventy-five off of him as well. In his one start against Baltimore a little bit earlier this season, while giving up three runs over the course of seven innings, including a pair of deep flies as well. And this is a Baltimore Orioles bullpen that they did wind up suffering through a few guys getting moved at the trade deadline, most notably Aude Lopez. But you still have Cien Perez, Zillon Tate. Keegan Aiken, Felix Batista, Joey Cribo, all these guys. Have been able to deliver a 2.80 ERA or better, and then for the Toronto Blue Jays, Tim Mays is currently on the full for the team. They actually do have a little bit of an underrated bullpen. They rank in the top ten in the big leagues in terms of ERA over the last 45 days, with guys like David Phelps, Adam Simmer, Yumi Garcia being able to do a solid job. They pick up Anthony Bass at the trade deadline, but I am the real albatross. here is Mr. Barrios, who's giving up over two home runs per nine innings. And this is a Baltimore lineup that they don't necessarily have a bunch of boom guys. We were talking about this with Chris a little bit earlier, but you do have Anthony Santander entered into yesterday with 20 home runs, and just a lot of balance overall, as Juan Mateo, Roman Urias, Ryan Moncastle, Austin Desayas, Kid, Rune Adador, all these guys between 10 and 15 home runs, and then Got great balance in terms of being able to get on base as well as Hayes, Adelie Rushman, Ramon Udias, along with Ryan Moncastle, Cedric Mullins, Ryan McKenna. All these guys have been able to be between a 245 and a 260. They do a good job of being able to move the line, obviously. Toronto has a little bit of a leg up in terms of the batting average, but Alejandro Kirk, he has seen a little bit of regression over the last, we're going to call it 30 days or so. selling right around at 300 overall in Bobachette. He wound up having a nice bust out yesterday with a pair of homers and four RBIs. So that ends up helping out his cause. Lourdes Gurriel has been able to runner for the team, like Leitero Jr. We all know what he's capable of. North of 20 bombs, 360 on base. With Merrifield. I don't think that that's necessarily too much of a net positive for them, and they are dealing with a little bit of an injury to George Springer, though, as well. And then you do take a look at Dean Kramer in his first 18 career starts with the Baltimore Orioles. The team wound up going 3-15 and in those starts. Boy, oh boy, how things have turned around for him as Take a look at what the Orioles have been able to do recently, going 7-3 and three in his last 10 starts, and Kramer has been solid for this team. 341 home ERA, 346 ERA on the road, giving up a little bit less than a home run per 9 innings, right around 2.1, 2.2 walks per 9 as well. Not necessarily too high of a strikeout guy, but I do think that he's going to be able to do a solid job, especially when he's matched up with Jose Barrios, gives it up on the road. DK and H pick on the Orioles' money line. I was willing to take them up to a minus 102, and they might have saying my total at a 9, so looking over DK pick. Orioles' money line. 969, 970 on the bank board. The Detroit Tigers, they're going to be playing on six Cleveland Guardians. Aaron Savali is going to be going for the Guardians, and Drew Hutchinson is going to be on the bump for Detroit. It is your total over Zenni between minus 115 and minus 120. The under any between even a minus 105 with Cleveland. You're going to be finding them in between minus 160 and minus 170, between plus 140 and plus 152, your price on Detroit. This is a rare over that I'm going to be taking a look at in a Detroit game, because Aaron Savali has been just complete enough Garbage this season, and this is going to be his first start in quite a while. He's been off and on injured all season long. When he's been out there, he's been posting up north of a six ERA. He's really paying for the sins of previous seasons when he wanted going, I think it was 12 and 5 last season, despite having. North of a 5 ERA, he's just never necessarily been a guy that has been able to do a rock-solid job of be able to get swings and misses. As a matter of fact, 8.7 strikeouts per 9 innings is a career high from him. He's only given up right around 2.5 walks per 9 innings. So, if you take a look at the fielding independent, it's right around a 4.22 compared to his actual ERA of a 6.17. But, yeah, it's been just giving up hits upon hits. Bonus throwing a 2.95 off of him. Thus far the season now. The good news for Aaron Savalli is that he is going to be going up against a Detroit Tigers lineup that it is all sorts of bad. Spencer Torkelson is out, AAA, they wind trading away Robbie Grossman, and then you've got Akil Badu, Cody Clements, Jameer Candelario, Jonathan Scope, Tucker Barnard, all ending at 215 or lower. Avi Baez has been able to work his way up to right around about a 225 batting average, so. We we'll give him a little bit of credit, obviously Miguel Cabrera. When he's been out there, he's been able to do a relatively solid job, but just a sad state of affairs for this Detroit offense. And the bullpen has been relatively solid. They got seven good innings out of Tyler Alexander yesterday, which wound up saving a lot of their pieces. They did wind mind trading away Michael Former at the trade deadline, but still have a lot of guys are out there providing a sub 3-3 ERA, like Andrew Chafin. Ever since he's come off the injured list, Jose Cicero has been solid. Alex Lang, Joey Jimenez, Gregory Soto, you're able to go down the list. These guys have been able to do a very solid job, but for the Cleveland Guardians themselves, have been able to do a nice job in their bullpen. James Karincheck since he's come back, he has looked very good Manual Classé has been able to do an incredible job with this team as well. They did wind up using a B by Morgan yesterday. He's made a able to post up right around three six five ERA. But with that said, Nick Sandlin has been solid and for the Cleveland Guardians. Not a team that's necessarily going to go deep on you too much, but you've got Jose Ramirez, Oscar Gonzalez, Josh Naylor, Stephen Kwan, Amid Rosario. Throw in there, Andres Jimenez as well, all hitting a 273 or higher for this bunch. With Ramirez, he has really been the boom guy for the team as he's got north of 20 bombs. He's been able to be in the top five in the big leagues in terms of RBI all season long. And then they're going to be going up against a guy, in Drew Hutchinson, who's So, Nessie's been too terrific himself. Now, I'm going to take anything north of plus 135 on the Tigers. So, I'm going to be siding with their money line just because, I mean, really, this is a play against Aaron Savali more than anything else. But, with Drew Hutchinson, he's been topsy-turvy, 1-5 in record, 4.37 area. The team has lost part of his last five starts, but he's been able to shape up a little bit recently. He has given up two earned runs or fewer, and now three out of his last five starts, Three earned runs or fewer and now seven out of his last nine as well. So he's been able to do a little bit of a better job at home. He's actually been a little bit worse than on the road. 460 homey area compared to a 407 on the road, and so able to do a good job of being able to keep the ball in the yard. Let's an home run per nine innings, very much. A guy that will give up the walk. so four and a half walks per nine innings, which is why I do like the over in this spot, despite the fact that it is a Tigers game, and the Tigers have not been too terrific all season long. It's just a case in which I have no faith here in Aaron Saval. He hasn't been good all season long. Now we expect him to be good after his last start wanted coming about 30 days ago. No thanks for me. Going to be taking a look at the Tigers with a plus price. Wanted we'll to take the eight over as well. 971, 972 on the bank board. The Houston Masters, they are going to be playing also the Walker Texas Rangers. Glenn Otto is going to be going for the Rangers, and Justin Verlander is on the bump for Houston. Houston is the biggest favorite that we are finding on the board right now. And between minus $3 and minus $320 is your price. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at Texas, it's anywhere between plus $260 and plus $280. I guess things are bigger in Texas, including the plus prices. Seven 7.5 is your total, over and under, both at minus one ten. I needed at least a plus 307 to take a shot on the Rangers. I do not make a lot of teams $3 favorites, it's to do it here with Verlander and company. And if you're taking a look at that Houston run line, it's not necessarily the most unpalatable number in the world. You're finding it in a lot of spots, right around a minus 145 before first pitch. You could got on this line of going up a little bit. There's no question about that. But I'm even seeing some minus 140s out there as well. So, I mean, that's actually not a terrible number in my opinion because Justin Verlander has been absolutely dominant this season. And we were talking about with Chris with the way that Glenn Otto has been giving up nearly... 4.8-ish walks per nine innings, giving up right around 1.3 bombs per nine. Now, for Glenn Auto once again, I will say, better on the road rather than at home. 402 road, ERA, 669. year at home, giving up four bombs in 40 and a third innings on the road compared to seven home runs in 37 to two-thirds innings. One at home. Opponents are overall hitting about a 248 off of them, but he hasn't had a lot of success being able to generate swings and misses either. A little bit over seven punch-outs per nine innings. Meanwhile, at his advanced age, Justin Verlander still getting nice strikeouts per nine innings, giving up less than home run per nine innings. And I with Justin Verlander. The guy has given up now four earned runs since the beginning of the month of July in five starts, going six plus innings in every one of them. As a matter of fact, he has allowed one earned run or fewer, and now eight out of his last nine starts. He has been absolutely masterful for the season. He's backed up by the number one bullpen in the big leagues in terms of ERAs, you've had Rafael Montero along with Seth Martinez or in there, Ryan Sanik, all providing a sub-3 ERA, not Will Smith. Not a guy that you can necessarily trust in too much, but Phil Maton has been relatively solid. Ryan Presley is able to do a good job in this bullpen as well, and then Trey Mancini going into yesterday. He had three home runs in really his first week with the Houston Astros. That elevates them a little bit. They bring in a hidden catcher in Christian Vasquez. He's been able to about a two eighty for this bunch of yard on Alvarez. He's hanging in the neighborhood about a three he He's been able to go deep 30 times. A little bit colder here the last week or so, but everyone's going to experience that. And then you got Kyle Tucker, Mendes, Diaz, Jeremy Pena, Alex Bregman, all in between about a 240 to a 253. Bregman still providing a 353 on-base. Diaz has been aiming above 300 over the last three days. Jose Altuve, along with Tucker, both able to supply 19 home runs this season. And for Texas, you've got plenty of firepower when it comes to the deep ball with this team, as well as Nate Lowe and Marcus Simeon have been able to both give you 16 home runs loa has been able to about a 280. You've got Simeon along Corey Seager, Adoliz Garcia, Heim only between about a 242 to 250. And then with Seager, he's been able to go deep 25 times now. thus far the season, Adoliz Garcia has been able to crank out 19 deep balls. Heim has a double-digit amount of former. So you have some good firepower there, but with the Texas Rangers over the last 40 days, bottom 10 team in terms of bullpen ERA, Dennis Santana went straight down the tubes before he wound up going on the injured list. We've seen Garrett Richards' ERA go up to north of a 10 over the last 40 days. Jose Leclerc. Has been having his ups and downs. Jonathan Hernandez has been okay out there in the bullpen, and Brock Burke and Matt Moore—they're providing some two ERAs. But I don't think the Otto is going to be able to land a very trustworthy start in this one. I'm willing to take the run line of the Houston Astros. you do end up saying my total a little bit north of eight because I think that the Astros provide a lot of support for Verlander in this one. So looking over and looking at the Astros on the run line, nine seventy three, nine seventy four on the betting board. The Chicago White Sox at third face off against the Kansas City Royals. Chris with the K Bubich goes for the Royals. Johnny Cueto is going to be on the bump for the White Sox. The South are anywhere between minus 133 and minus 140 favorites. Meanwhile, between plus 120 and plus 125, your price on the Royal sign is your total. The under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. The over is anywhere between even and minus 110. And with the White Sox, he's willing to lay up to a minus 146 with them. There's just no taking Chris with a boobich He has been not great for this Kansas City Royals team thus far this season. Now, coming off of a relatively okay start against Boston, Red Sox gave up two runs in the first inning and bounced back from there. And I will say, to the credit of Chris with the K-Bubich, is that allowed fewer than 200 runs? in his last seven starts, but he is allowed between two and three runs in every one of them. So, he's been at the very least consistent. He's went north of five innings in each out of his last six starts. um, He's been able to shape up a little bit more with that regard, but still posting up a 586 ERA. Still not doing a great job in terms of the command. Giving up north of four walks per nine innings. Not necessarily a great strikeout guy with right around seven and a half punch outs per nine innings. Johnny Cueto himself is not going to go out there, get a bunch of strikeouts, right around six strikeouts per nine innings out of him, but has been able to do a very solid job all season long of just yeah. <laughs> being able to keep things steady. He has given up three earned runs or fewer in all, but one of his starts thus far this season. And you take a look at Quaid on the road. He has been tremendous. Two ERA across the seven starts away from Chicago. Four home runs, given up in 45 innings. but it's starting right around about a 255 or so off of him, but he's been able to do a solid job and he's able to deliver length. And that's going to be big because we did wind up seeing these two teams wind up playing a doubleheader yesterday. Davis Martin was actually able to land some relatively solid length for the Chicago White Sox. And then you do have Liam Hendricks along Kendall Grayman. They're amazing out there in the bullpen but Joe Kelly has north of a 5 ERA. Jake Diekman is not someone that you necessarily want to be relying upon too much. Jimmy Lambert has been solid in them for the White Sox. They just need someone to be able to deliver some good innings because right now they are the top team in the big leagues in terms of batting average on the road as we have got Eloy Jimenez, Jose Abreu, Andrew Vaughn, Luis Robert, Tim Anderson when he's out there because he was dealing with a suspension, all adding at least a 290 for the team. Big problem for them has been the deep ball. They rank in the bottom six of the big leagues in terms of home runs on a per game basis, and for the Kansas City Royals, they haven't had a lot of the deep ball either, but MJ Melendez has been able to give you three home runs over the last seven days. Bobby Witt Jr. he's been able to pick it up as well. He's hitting a little bit above a 250, he's been able to go deep 15 times over the last three days. He's hitting north of a 320. Hurts about in the fold. Nick Prado wound up having a Big game one for the Kansas City Royals overall. Hasn't necessarily been able to find it, but guys like a Nate Eaton, Nicky Lopez, Hunter Dozier, these guys video been able to about a 245 to a 250, so got some signs of brightness there, but with this Royals bullpen, it is currently dead last in the American League in terms of ERA. Ever since coming off the injured list, Josh shame has on necessarily been himself. They're taking a flyer on Luke Weaver as well. Dylan Coleman has actually been an halfway decent. Jose Kouas, both of these guys, giving you a sub-3-3 ERA. Taylor Clark, before going on the injured list, was looking Saw, but now that he's on the injured list, that hurts Amir Garrett as north of a 5 ERA as well, so I do think the Cueto is going to go out there, going to be relatively dominant. I do think that the Royals with their turnaround on offense are going to be able to generate some runs, so do you mind saying my total at nine point three. Looking over and want to lay up to a minus 145 with the White Sox, so going with the Southsiders as well. 975, 976 on the banking board. The Milwaukee Brewers play out to the Tampa Bay Rays as Jeffrey Springs goes for the Rays, and Brandon Woodruff is going to be on the bump for Milwaukee. Milwaukee is a favorite of any between minus 153 and minus 165 between plus one a plus 145, your price on Tampa Bay. 7 to 7.5 is your total. On the 7 over, it's minus 20. The under, 7 even on the 7.5 under. unders any between minus 115 and minus 120. The overs anywhere any between minus 105 and even money. And with the Tampa Bay Rays, needed at least a plus 152 to be able to take a shot. You take a look at the Brewers' run line right now. You're finding it a, between a plus 135 to a plus 140. Needed at least a plus 140 to be able to take a shot. But we are at a price in which I'm going to be willing to take this Brewers' run line now determination with the Brewers run line is that they have been one of the worst teams as a favorite on the run line all season long, but with the Milwaukee Brewers as well, this is a team that they do rank in the top eight in terms of home runs on a per-game basis. They did a very good job of being able to cut through the Tampa Bay Rays bullpen yesterday as Ryan Yarbrough was supposed to be the bulk guy who did not wind up being able to deliver four innings out. Jason Adam has been very solid for the Tampa Bay Rays bullpen all season long, posting up a sub-2 ERA. Guys like Brooks Raley, Colin Pucci Company, they've been able to provide a sub-3 ERA as well, but ever since he got to Tampa Bay, Christian Fets court want Luke Rayleigh. Jose Siri, Taylor Walls, all these guys hitting below the Mendoza line of 200 now. They've got a little bit of consistency towards the middle. Yandy Diaz at the top. He's been able to give you north of a 375 on base. And then Brandon Lau, Randy Odoz G Man Choi, David Peralta, they're in between about a 245 to a 260. But I mean, Isaac Paredes with his 14 home runs, that currently leads away. And for the Milwaukee Brewers, you got a pair of guys. They have been able to deliver north of 20 home runs apiece. And Rowdy Tellez, along with William Thomas. And they got guys in the middle of the fold that are able to move. The line a little bit more. You don't have really anyone other than Mark Buehrle hitting above a 262, but you got Christian Yelich, Andrew McCutchen, Colton Wong all in between about a 255 to a 262. Hunter Renfro he's been able to go deep about once every 14 or so at bats with the Milwaukee Brewers. It's been a little bit rough for the bullpen in recent days, losing Josh Hader that does not wind up helping. But Devin Williams has allowed a earned run just once in his last 34 appearances. I say earned run because some of those game runs in the 10th inning those were unearned runs, but you've been Live Brian Boxberger, Hobie Miller provide a sub three ERA as well. Now, been a little bit touch and go for someone like Taylor Rogers while he was over there with San Diego Brent Suter. He's posting up right around a 375 ERA over the last north or four overall for the season. But I do think that you're going to be able to get a very good start out of Brandon Woodruff, who in every one of his starts that's coming off the injured list, seven in total, has provided three earned runs or fewer in every one of them has been able to do an amazing job at home as well. Nine and three record overall. He's got a five and zero mark at home with a 208 ERA. Give it up to seven walks in 34 and two-thirds innings and three home runs in that time span with opponents hitting a buck 74 off of him overall. Opponents starting at 231 off of him. He's been able to do a nice job of being able to keep the ball in the yard. And Jeffrey Springs has been able to do a solid job to his credit for the Tampa Bay Rays as well. Began the season, uh, the bullpen has been stretched out and has been able to do a very solid job as he has allowed three earned runs or fewer in all but one of his starts thus far the season, so has done a nice job being able to bear down there. 268 road ERA, 227 ERA, and home has been able to do an okay job keeping the ball in the yard right around 1.25 home runs per nine innings, fewer than two walks per nine. He's able to get a little bit over nine and a half strikeouts per nine innings, but I do think that Woodruff is going to be able to land a good start. I think that Milwaukee with them being able to get to the bullpen yesterday, I thought that that was absolutely critical for them. Did I up saying Mattel at 7.6, a little bit too low with the way that Milwaukee has been able to get the deep ball going and was willing to take at least a Plus 135 with the Brewers run line. We have gotten there. So looking Brewers run line and the over. 977, 978 on the main board. The Atlanta Braves hit the road face off against the Boston Red Sox. Nick Pavetta is going to be going for the Sox. And Kyle Wright hopes to be Mr. Wright for Atlanta. Atlanta is between a minus 135 to a minus 140 favorite. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at Boston, it's any routine. Plus 115, a plus 125. Nine and a half is your total. Under is any routine. Minus 115, minus 120. Over is between even and minus 105. This is a total I did by up taking at a 9.7 and I'm on the way up to a minus 154. With the Atlanta Braves, Kyle Wright his last start against the New York Mets not necessarily terrific, but that's a, This is a Boston just team in general that is a little bit dazed and compute at this point. Rafael Devers has been incredible for this bunch, entering into yesterday hitting north of a three ten, being able to supply twenty four home runs that has been magnificent, and they still have some relatively solid bats out there. Now, J.D. Martinez he's hitting below a buck seventy five over the last forty days that is an issue. But Eric Cosmer, Alex Verdugo, both of these guys hitting right around at two. 70s. Andrew Bogarts has a 380 on base. Not a lot of firepower in terms of home runs, but has been solid. Tommy Pham goes deep yesterday; He's got a 320 on base, 13 home runs. But I mean, the thing is, is that you've got Jaron Duran, who has just been terrible up there in the field. He hasn't been great at the plate either. And a 230 did wind up having a deep ball yesterday, but not great there. Bobby Dolbeck, Kevin Ploiecki, these guys have not been able to get it done. Meanwhile, for Atlanta, you really don't have a break when it comes to this lineup. Marcel Zuna has been able to go deep. 18 to 19 times. He's been a little bit rough in terms of batting average, but Michael Harris, is the second. Dance v. Swanson, Austin Riley, I think between about a 290 to a 300 with Riley. He's been able to go deep now 30 times this season. He's my pick for MVP if the season were to end right now, Dan Swanson. He's got 15 plus home runs around Lacuna Jr., 360 on base. The Atlanta Braves have by far the better bullpen to be able to back up Kyle Wright as well as A.J. Minter as a sub-3 ERA. They did a good job at the trade deadline being able to pick up a few pieces, like a Rossiel Iglesias. So, he has a sub-2 ERA Jackson Stevens. He's able to give you multiple innings. He's got a sub-3 ERA as well. And then for Nick Pavetta, he's actually pitched better when he's been on the road rather than at home. Last two seasons for this Boston bunch? And it was mentioned by Chris, the fact that he's just given up a whole bunch of contact right now. Opponents overall, hitting a 253 off of him. This goes to a 266 at home. He's been giving up overall for the season. A little bit north of 1.2 home runs per nine innings. Command has not necessarily been too tremendous either. A little bit over three block. For nine innings. Meanwhile, you take a look at Mr. Kyle Wright, and he has been very terrific on the road. 305 home area, 349 area on the road, giving up seven home runs in 49 innings on the road, eight bombs in 79 and two thirds innings at home, has still been able to generate. Right around 8.6, 8.7 strikeouts per nine innings. I think that Kyle Wright is going to be able to land a relatively solid start. And I do think that the Red Sox wind up getting some offense, but I do think that the Braves wind up getting to Nick Bavetta here, set my total at 99.7, looking over and want to lay up to a minus 154 with the Atlanta Braves. And if you're looking at the run line on this game, by the way, would rather have the money line just because the only thing that you're getting right now on the Braves, plus 110 on that run line. I mean, honestly, I don't see much of an edge there. I see the bigger edge on the money line, and we wrap things up with 979, 980 on the bank board. The LA Dodgers they play host to the Minnesota Twins. Sonny Gray is going to be going for the Twins, and to be determined is going to be going for the L.A. Dodgers. With the Dodgers, the expectation is that Ryan Pippoy is going to be getting the start. This could wind up being Andre 3000 Jackson as well, so this is a little bit of a TBD situation, but if you do wind up getting Mr. Pippoy, I wind up setting the Dodgers as a minus-163 favorite. Would be in that neighborhood as well for Andre 3000 Jackson as well. Probably will bump it down just a little bit because he doesn't have as much big league experience as Mr. Pipoi, but you got to figure that we are going to be getting a rookie starter slash a very, very young starter here for the Dodgers and with Pipoi, who I'm mentioning right now, the expected starter, he has been 8-0 at the minor league level thus far this season. Has been a little bit off and on, banged up, so that has been a tad bit of an issue for him, but has been able to do a good job of being able to mow them down all season long, whether that be at the minor league or the major league level. And I think the big thing for Pipoi is just being able to stay within himself, be able to keep the walks down, because when he's been out there at the big league level thus far this season, 16 and a third innings, he has made a quadrant of starts. He has had 12 walks, and... And he's been at the minor league level. Still spent a little bit of an issue. Right around four walks per nine innings. He's able to get 11 punch outs per nine innings. Vigories why I would still set the LA Dodgers as a sizable favorite. With them being out there. Is that this bullpen has been absolutely tremendous. As Evan Phillips, Yancey Almonte, Caleb Ferguson unsung heroes have all been able to supply a sub 2 ERA. Now yeah, Almonte most likely not going to be available for this game and that's a little bit of an issue because Craig Kimberl has been a hot mess worth of a 4 ERA. They've been dealing with that injury to Blake Trine, darn near all season long but starter Graderell has been out for much of the campaign as well but Alex Veseo has been able to do a relatively solid job as well. You got to figure that for Pete probably going to be 4 or 5 innings if he does wind up getting the start and for Sonny Gray, he's been able to do a solid job when he has been away from Minnesota as well. 350 home ERA, 280 ERA on the giving up just two home runs in 35 and a third innings when I mean, he's been away from home with opponents hitting a book 92 but unfortunately for him this is now the LA Dodgers that he's going up against and the LA Dodgers we got a guy hitting leadoff by the name of Mookie Betts. He's got 25 home runs and is hitting at 275 right now. Will Smith gets jiggy with it. 270 batting average, 16 bombs, 350 on base. Freddie Freeman, Trey Turner. They have a combined 33 home runs. Turner's hitting at 305, 325 for Freddie Freeman. Now, Cody Bellinger did wind up having a pair of homers on Sunday Night Baseball, but he, Joey Gallo, you're able to throw in there, Max Muncy and Austin Barnes, awning a 215 or lower, but they get back Justin Turner down for what, who prior to going on the injured list was sitting north of the 350 over the last 35 days and then for the twins they've got quite a few guys that are able to move the line. You really don't have too many home run hitters outside of Byron Buxton. Buxton 26 home runs he's getting a home run every about 12 or so of bats, hitting just a 220, but you do wind up having Carlos Correa, Ore Palanco, Jose Miranda, Giorgella, I'll give him between 10 and 14 home runs and Really, other than Polanco, all these guys in between a 262 to a 280 with Miranda really coming on strong. One of the most underrated guys in baseball over the last month or so, as he's hit a 365 with a 430 on base over the last 35 days. Meanwhile, Max Kepler, he's had a down season. He's only right around 235, but Nick Gordon, he's able to move the line. He's hitting right around 275. Luis Arias, sitting above 300. And then for the Minnesota Twins, they've got a bullpen full of guys. They're able to give you multiple innings. Giovanni Morin, along with Johan Durham, both of these guys have been very solid all season long, providing a sub-3 ERA, Trevor McGill. He's been able to give you a sub-3 ERA. They pick up Orde Lopez along with Michael Fulmer at the trade deadline. Both of these guys have been rock solid, Fulmer, a 3 ERA, a Lopez. He's actually got a buck seventy five ERA in a closer spot, so he's been doing a good job as well. But this is a Dodgers team that I think is going to be able to get to Sonny Gray a little bit more. Gray has been a little bit unlucky at home, a little bit lucky on the road. Do mind setting my total at an 8.2 with the Dodgers going into what we wound up seeing yesterday, having given up four runs or fear and 18 out of their last 21 games. They have been amazing with her pitching, so less, looking at the over 8.5 or higher to the under, and Dodgers, minus 163 favorites, will be willing to take anything north of a plus 120 on that run line as well as for the Dodgers. All but eight of their wins this season going into yesterday have come by multiple runs, and that will wrap things up. For the Wednesday edition of the Baseball Betting Show, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast, big thanks to Christian of the Monumental Sports Network for joining me in the last segment. If you do like hearing from this fine podcast, Baseball Betting Show, you're able to subscribe wherever you get podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and tune in. If you if you've got a question, comment, segment, idea, or whatever you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways we go for this. First one is my Twitter timeline, at you and our 41. Keep in mind, letters am. Maybe it does not matter, so as per usual, please just send these into the timeline. The other way, buying an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, mobile fire, whatever you'd like here on this podcast, via the five-star review, coming at you guys every single day throughout the baseball season. That means I'm coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.